This episode will contain spoilers for the 2007 film Live Free or Die Hard. It will also contain explicit language. Welcome to a new episode of Franchises and Filmogs. I am the host, Zach. Today we're going to talk about a Die Hard movie, because that's what we're doing right now. We're talking about the Die Hard franchise. We're on episode 55 of the podcast. Seems like a lot to me. I just said we were on episode 50, and it just keeps coming. We're on episode 55. We're going to be talking about Live Free or Die Hard, the 2007 film directed by Len Weissman believe I said that correctly. Um, but we'll, we'll get to that in a second. I just wanted to catch up with everyone, uh, let you all know a couple of cool things I've been checking out, I guess, uh, in the film world and in the music world. There's been quite a bit of good stuff being released, and it feels like we were kind of in a frozen period uh, last year where nothing... Well, new things were coming out, but they were hard to watch or hard to listen to uh, because artists, a lot of times, were not releasing onto platforms. They were releasing their films via the festival circuit, which is cool and all. Uh, but I'm happy that I'm finally able to watch some of these films that I missed last year. Uh, so I watched Nomadland, which I have to say is a very good film. It is different. It's not like something I've really seen before, and it kind of feels like a montage film. Like the whole film is a little scattered, but it, it works. It's not bad scattered. It doesn't feel disorganized to I me. Mean, it feels like it's telling a linear story, but at the same time, it, it jumps around a little bit, which makes it more interesting to watch. That's pretty much all I've been watching in the film world. I watched Nomad Land. Uh, I'm probably going to be watching some documentaries coming up. I'm hoping to watch the Bee Gees documentary. And I believe that uh, Woody Allen documentary series is out on HBO Max now, or at least the first episode of that limited series. So I'll probably watch that. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to that. In terms of music, I discovered a pretty cool artist. And right now her album is sitting at my number two of 2021. I've listened to 33 albums so far. I know it's only been a couple months, not even a couple months yet. Uh, so I'm just hopping right into the music. But Katie Kirby's album, Cool Dry Place, is really damn good. I highly recommend it. It's got quite the buildup to the title, um, the title song, Cool Dry Place. And that song in itself has got to be, I want to say it's my favorite so far of 2021. Uh, Typhoon, of course, released a great album. I talked about that already. So those are kind of my top two right now. And yeah, yeah, that's pretty much all I'm going to share in terms of that. So let's get into the movie. Today, again, we're talking about Live Free or Die Hard. I know that that previous stuff had almost nothing to do with this film. But you know what? This film doesn't have too much to do with the Die Hard franchise in general anyway. So maybe it was good to start off that way. This film was released in 2007, directed by Len Weissman, and it had an estimated budget, according to IMDb, of $110 million. I think that's the highest budget so far of a Die Hard film that we've talked about, and it grossed $388.1 
million dollars. And I have quite a bit of nostalgia for this film. I'll talk about that later. Do I think this film is great? No. I don't know if I even think it's good, but it's not bad, I guess. Uh, we'll talk about that. But let's start off with some IMDb facts. This is the only Die Hard movie to take place over the course of one day. Now, I don't know if that was updated since the newest film. Again, I haven't seen A Good Day to Die Hard yet, but we will be talking about that in the next episode, which will be the season finale. Uh, so you can look forward to that. But apparently, according to this fact, this is the only one that took place over the course of one day. Uh, this film was released on November 20th, 2007. And that was released on DVD at that time. And it was the first DVD to be packaged with a digital copy, which seems extremely standard now. Pretty much any DVD or Blu-ray you buy is going to have a digital copy with it. Uh, it'll give you that code in the box. But apparently, this was the first one in the US and in Canada to be packaged with a digital copy. So that's a pretty cool fact. The script for this film was not originally written to be a Die Hard sequel. That's a cool fact. This film, and we'll talk about this again, but this film feels like it doesn't quite fit into the Die Hard franchise for me, at least maybe for some of you real Die Hard fans. Uh, it does fit in, but to me, this is a weird sequel that doesn't quite fit in. So it's interesting to me that the script was not originally written for this franchise. And I think that kind of shows, so we can talk about that. This is also the first Die Hard film with no reference to Christmas. This is not a Christmas film. Arguably, the first, second, and third Die Hards are Christmas films, I guess. I think the third one really isn't, but you could argue that the first and second are. This one, no reference at all to Christmas. The French title for this film, which I'm not going to try and pronounce because I, first of all, didn't write it down. And second of all, I don't really know how to pronounce most French words anyways. But it translates to Die Hard 4.0 Return to Hell, which I feel like is an extremely unfitting title for this film. But it makes it sound more like a cult film, so that's cool. Uh, the last fact I've got, and then we're going to take a quick break, is that there were over 200 visual effects in this film. There's a lot of stunts going on. There's a lot of effects going on. So that's pretty neat. I don't think it always works in this film, so we'll talk a little bit about the effects. But it was a pretty groundbreaking blockbuster, I think, based on all of these facts. We're going to take a quick break here, and then we'll talk about the film coming up. So I think the biggest problem I have with this film is really the story. And again, this script apparently was not written to be a Die Hard sequel. So that might be the issue. But this story revolves pretty much all around hacking. And I remember when I saw this in theaters, that's when I learned what the word fire sale means. Uh, but if you want to learn what that word means, you got to watch this film because they explain it uh, very clearly in this film. But it has to do with hacking. From the opening credits of this film, you definitely feel like you're going through 
a pretty typical hacking action film. I'm talking like The Matrix, although The Matrix is a much better film than this from what I remember. But like The Matrix, even this even has some elements of the opening credits of like Spider-Man where you're traveling through these webs. Uh, it reminded me a lot of that. It works for a blockbuster, I guess, in the 2000s, but it doesn't work for me as a diehard sequel. These hacking montages feel really out of place to me. They don't feel like they're a part of Die Hard at all. I don't know why they went this route with John McClane, because he's kind of much more boring. Justin Long in this film is more exciting than Bruce Willis is in this film. Uh, Justin Long plays this hacker who's kind of nerdy and whiny. I don't think that it's the most fitting role for Justin Long, but... I get it more than I get John McClane in this film. Uh, there's these weird random like ransom videos that come up that are used to show that the world is imploding. It just feels very old fashioned. I don't know. Maybe this film didn't date so well. Again, I do have some, some nostalgia for this film. I don't think it dated well at all. So I am curious to see how the next film is. That would be a good day to die hard and see if they kind of reverse routes on that to me this is not john mcclain at all like they've made this family this family man out of john mcclain who has to find his daughter at the end of this because she gets kidnapped by the hackers and it feels like they just threw that in for absolutely no reason to try and make some sort of emotional appeal to the audience but I don't know when the first Taken film came out. I'm pretty sure it came out after this film. So I guess Die Hard did it first, but it's very poorly done. It feels like it was thrown into the script very, very late. I did find out that Britney Spears apparently auditioned to play John McClane's daughter. So that would have been really interesting. Um, but... I think that the acting in this is fine for a blockbuster. I don't think it's great. Again, it's not the John McClane that we're used to. He's He feels like he's being censored in this film. Uh, he does not cuss nearly as much. This film is only PG-13. And I think it's ridiculous to make a PG-13 uh, diehard film at this point because what we're used to is... John McClane cussing and having banter with his sidekick in this film. His sidekick is Justin Long, who is much younger than like Samuel L. Jackson or Alan or not Alan Rickman, uh, than the old custodian in Die Hard 2. And I guess he doesn't really have a sidekick that I remember in the original Die Hard. But in this film, Justin Long, like there's really bad banter in this film. It just doesn't feel fun to me. It's just Justin Long whining and being afraid of everything. I also think that this film, while some of the older Die Hard films seem to have aged okay, there's some race issues that I have with Die Hard 3. Um, this film seems overtly sexist at times. Like They will make offhanded comments a lot of the time to pretty much all the female actresses uh, or the female characters in this film that just don't really feel like they fit in they don't feel like genuine at all and they feel like they were a reach for some reason and i don't know if this is how they're trying to make john mcclain more of the like badass character or what 
But most of that banter also comes from like Justin Long. And it just doesn't make sense. I mean, it makes sense that he's like this nerdy guy, I guess. There's also like this sexism about how women can't be hackers that they talk about a little bit and like that they don't expect. I think her name is Mai in the film to be a hacker because she is a woman. And it just it feels out of place and very outdated to me. We are getting a more family oriented John McClane, who is apparently divorced from Holly. I don't remember if that happened in the last film. I don't think it did. So I don't know why they did that. I don't know if the actress who plays Holly, who I actually don't remember, uh, if she bailed on the franchise and they didn't want to like replace her. But they just mentioned that he's divorced from Holly at one point in this film. And I don't know. It, it just feels like there's no really emotional bond at all to this character, to this John McClane at all. And they try to force it again. At the very beginning, we're introduced to his daughter. So you know that's going to come up again. Uh, and he's being protective of her. And she hates him for being protective of her. Uh, and then at the end, he has to save her, which is like the exact opposite of how they introduced her to us in the first place. So I don't, I don't like it. I don't think it really fits in. I'm not a fan of family John McClane. I think that solo John McClane, who every so often talks to Holly on the phone, is much better and more exciting. Uh, Holly played a pretty significant role in the first film, I guess. So that was fine. But in this film with no Holly and much more of his daughter, it just feels out of place. There's missing motives. Like, I don't really get timothy oliphant's character at all he's just like a, a renegade or a traitor to the country who decides to hack the system to prove that the system sucks and i'm like okay that's fine like i it just it doesn't make sense as to why he turns exactly so they could have explained that a little better they could have fleshed out his character more he's nothing compared to jeremy irons or to franco nero or to Alan Rickman in the previous films. So he feels like a waste of space in this film. They could have cast a much better villain. I don't think Timothy Oliphant's a bad actor. I think he's a great actor, actually. But in this film, the writing just doesn't work for him. That's most of my complaints. We'll take a quick break here, and then we're going to talk about the action in the film, because this is an action film. And then I'll talk a little bit about where my nostalgia comes from right after this. The action in this film is much different than the previous films. And I think that's something that happens when you make a film 12 years later than the previous film in the franchise. The effects are much more modern. I don't think that's necessarily a good thing for this film. It's very 2000s blockbuster action with a lot of visual effects. Again, there were over 200 visual effects apparently in this film. Um, it doesn't work so much for me. I do like the old action in the previous films because it feels like it's more real. In the 2000s, there were just a lot of films to me that feel like they tried to use this new technology too much, and it looks fake. There's a lot of more shaky camera movement because they have to cover up the fact that they're using visual effects as opposed to practical effects. Uh, so it, it feels fake. It feels more dated than watching the 1995 Die Hard with a Vengeance. 
So, yeah. I, I think that there are some stunts in this film that are much more exciting to watch, but there are very few of them. I'd rather just watch not as exciting practical effects and the specific stunts I'm about to talk about. But there is a tunnel car chase through, I guess they're in Washington, D.C. for most of this film. But there's this tunnel car chase that leads to this car flipping in the air, almost taking out Justin Long and Bruce Willis together as they have to like hide between these two cars. And I vividly remember this from the trailer. And every time someone says live free or die hard, I remember this scene from the trailer because that happens. And right after that, John McClane basically rockets this car. He jumps out of the car while he's driving it and it flies into a helicopter. And as Justin Long's character says, he kills the helicopter. So those stunts are pretty cool. But again, they don't feel as real as the stunts we saw in the 1995 film or in Die Hard 2 or Die Hard 1. So I think I prefer that more. I do have quite a bit of nostalgia for this film because I do think I saw this in theaters and I would have been 13, I believe, when this came out. Uh, maybe 12. So I believe I saw this with my parents in theaters and it was probably one of the earliest PG-13 films I saw in theaters. My parents weren't overly protective of me seeing films that were above my age, but uh, I do think that I didn't go to a lot of movies at the time and I saw the trailer for this film and I vividly remember wanting to see this film really bad because of the action. Now, I think I enjoyed it a lot more back then as a kid than I do now. It's not a great film. I'd give it a three out of five, which isn't bad. Like it's, it's an okay action film, but when you have these old films with practical effects that are much better than the new films with all these visual effects, it doesn't work so well for me. I also remember after leaving the theater when I saw this film that I was really confused about what a fire sale is. So I remember looking that up and then realizing that it's not really like a term that's used much these days or like needed to be used. I think that back then, back in 2007, there was all this concern about like how one person can hack into everything and just kill the stock market in this film there's a stock market crash uh yeah and i also remember in the trailer seeing the like jet there's like this plane scene toward the end where this jet is basically facing off with john mcclain in a truck so i remember that from the trailer so i think i left this film when i when i saw it in theaters i think i left it being shocked by the action going on so for its time it was a fun film it was a fun summer blockbuster. These days, I don't really feel a need to rewatch it anymore. I didn't think it was very good upon rewatching it, but it wasn't too bad. Also, Kevin Smith's cameo as Warlock is fine. I don't think it's necessarily Sari, but if you are a huge film buff, you'll love seeing him in this film. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, so those are my thoughts on live free or die hard the next episode is going to be the season five finale 
where we're going to talk about A Good Day to Die Hard. I think that will come out on Thursday. So you can stick around and listen to that. You can let me know what you think of the Die Hard films. You can let me know what you think of the previous seasons of the podcast by sending me an email or shooting me a message on social media. All of that is in the podcast description. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, I highly recommend rating it on Apple Podcasts. And I recommend that solely because I am curious to see your ratings uh, if they're good or bad, I don't really care. Just drop a rating. I'm, I'm curious to know. And you can leave a little review as well. Uh, what else? Aside from that, if you want to become a supporter of the podcast and 50% of all proceeds are still going to local organizations, uh, local arts organizations in the Seattle area that support independent film, they could be film festivals such as the Seattle International Film Festival or Nifty, or they might be museums or other like local uh, local radio stations. I'm still deciding. I haven't received a lot of money from this podcast, which is expected. This podcast, again, is for fun. I don't want you to subscribe or like donate if you don't want to donate. But if you do want to donate... I encourage you to donate to those arts organizations. They can be like concert venues directly, or you can become a supporter of the podcast and I will donate 50% of the proceeds. The rest of it will be going to improving the podcast, which could be things like getting a better microphone, uh, stuff like that. So let me know where you're listening from, whether you like the podcast, Again, all of that is in the social or in the uh, description for this podcast. Love to hear from you, and I will be back next time with the season five finale.